Hello and welcome to the PropTech Hot Seat on iProperty Radio with myself, Carol Tallon, the show where we explore trends and technologies driving innovation across the built environment. The show is brought to you in partnership with PropTech Ireland, the hub for innovators, investors and indeed for industry leaders. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Nuno Brito e Cunho, Lead ESG Advisor with Measurable. Nuno, you're very welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, thank you for having me. I've spoken to a number of your colleagues at Measurable in the past. I know it's it's a platform that we've featured previously on the show. You're certainly one of the early leaders um, in uh, in the ESG space. But you might just remind for anybody not familiar, uh, we're not familiar with Measurable. You might just kind of take us through the company and what the primary offering is. Sure. Thanks, Carol. Um, so Measurable, as you mentioned, is was one of the first, I would say, software platforms aimed at um, collecting, managing, and reporting sustainability data in the real estate in the real estate space. So very focused on um, working with commercial real estate owners. Uh, and investors, and um, and so that was started around ten years ago, and it's evolved to working now also with um, capital markets, uh, financial providers, and um, really focusing on that data element and trying to bring some intelligence to the market around sustainability. Very good. And what's your own background? Do you come from a real estate background yourself? Yeah, so I've been doing real real estate now for about four years. But prior to that, I was very focused on sustainable finance. And, um, and you know, as we em- embrace this new, new term, a relatively new term of ESG, it's, um, it's a good, it's a nice intersection between sustainable finance and, um, and real estate. Well, I would probably describe it as something better than a nice intersection. I mean, we, we've been exploring the drivers of ESG um, adoption over the last number of years. And what we've seen very clearly is that uh, finance was leading ahead of regulatory drivers in most jurisdictions. So I, I, I would say that actually uh, coming from the sustainable finance side of it, would you recognize that that, that maybe... Um, the the capital markets were in this sense a little bit ahead of regulation. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think it depends a little bit where you where you look. Um, I think you know if we take a look at the pension uh, pension providers and and asset um, pension asset funds in in Europe, um, they've definitely been leading leading that charge for some time and uh, asking the questions of of their. Um, of their investees on, you know, what are they doing around these these big issues that we um, that we have to deal with now around climate change, around um, you know collecting that information, being transparent, and disclosing it. It's it, for sure it's been a driver ahead of the regulatory curve, but that regulation now is you know is front and center and is driving a lot more um, scale and adoption of sustainability uh, reporting. Um, and actually, when we look at regulation ramping up uh, to become the key driver, then actually what we're seeing is maybe what was establishing and what was emerging really as best practice over the past decade. You know, we we saw and we really cautioned of this widening gap between those who were doing it very well and those who weren't just wasn't even on the radar or it was on the radar, but they didn't prioritize it. They weren't resourcing it and they didn't really know how to go about it. Um, despite the the huge rise and proliferation of new tools and technologies to do this. 
But now that regulatory um, factors are drivers across most jurisdictions, is that narrowing the gap? You know, when you look at your adoption curve, um, you know, I, I, where where are we at the moment in that? Because I think I'm in a little bit of a, a bubble insofar as I spend my time talking to innovative people who understand technology, who understand the importance um, of ESG and, and they get it. Whereas we know that's not true across it's and it's not representative of the entire uh, real estate ecosystem. No, absolutely, Carol. I think, you know, we we were actually discussing this internally, looking at that adoption curve and where and where we sit on it. We we've been very, you know, um, privileged to, you know, like you mentioned, you've spoken to a lot of my colleagues in the past and, you know, we've been around for 10 years now and you know, when we were doing it, we were very much a pioneer in the space. And and where we feel like we're at now, we've we've crossed that barrier between early adoption and we're moving into um the adoption of scale at scale in the market. And so we we're seeing a lot of we're seeing the sort of bifurcation between um the early adopters that are you know far along that curve. They've been reporting on ESG and sustainability for around you know, for almost a decade, they're well versed in um, the data they need that is important that they need to collect. They've resourced it. They've got teams now that that are focused on it. But then, on the other hand, we've got you know the the sort of the the ones that are a little bit later to the party that are coming into the into the fray now because of regulatory um, because of regulatory needs. And to them, you know, they're at the start of their journey, and so they are now trying to understand how to go about it. They're trying to figure out how much they need to resource. And so we, the conversations we're having with them is around, um, so they know they've got the, I almost, I always look at it, you know, there's, there's a carrot and there's a stick. And I think, you know, you've got the regulatory hand is a little bit of the stick. And, um, and it's not always the best way to drive adoption of, uh, sustainability reporting and, and the importance of that. But I think more interestingly, if we take a look at the market of real estate, commercial real estate in the last, let's say, a year and a half. So from the second half of 2022, when the interest rates started coming up, uh, and 2023 was a real sort of, the market was in shock at this new new environment that it was in. And so we felt there was um, a lot of players which is sort of pressing pause looking at my trying to figure out how to integrate sustainability, but with a lens of, you know, return on investment, what's the business case behind it? Is there a business case? Is there a return on, you know, starting to collect this data and reporting it? And can we see benefits to our business in doing so? And so we, the conversations that we've been having the last 18 months have been very much around the return on investment, around implementing sustainability, data collection, management, and reporting on that. And, you know, very much tagging on to the de decarbonization journey that, um, you know, that is there for everybody to to try and achieve. So we're seeing that conversation. I think that conversation matured. It's much more focused around ROI now than just sort of doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, and you touched on something there that I definitely want to return to, and that is maybe... Uh, shock across real estate right now um but i think in different jurisdictions the shock is is 
presenting in a slightly different way. Um, so I, I would love to get your take maybe uh, um, with your international perspective on what's happening in the commercial markets and really how your clients are perceiving what's happening across the commercial market, the commercial property markets right now. Um, but first, maybe just we'll take a step back and say, you know, who are your clients? Um, you know, what is the makeup of the measurable client? Yeah, um, so we've got, we divide our sort of customer base into two two factions. The first one is our sort of, I would say more of our traditional um, customer, which is the real estate owner and operator. Um, so this is, we're talking big real estate owners, we're talking real estate and investment trusts, um, investors in commercial real estate. Um, that's sort of one pillar of it where we, we help them effectively collect data on the buildings that they own and operate and create, help them develop insights into those buildings and then report uh, to the market, to shareholders, to stakeholders in, in that space. And now we have a new emerging customer as well, which is on more on the capital market side, where we're working with um, index providers for publicly listed um, uh, publicly listed indexes on on stock exchanges, and um, we can't mention we can't mention some of them at the moment, but uh, we soon we soon will be. And then on the other hand, we're also working with with lenders. Um, so the the benefit of having been around for 10 years is that we've collected a lot of data on on buildings and and so we've got an ability to you know delve deep into that data create benchmarks for our our customers and help also um create very very good estimates using that data lake uh to help that sort of pre-investment due diligence into understanding what this building looks like from a so not just from a financial perspective, from but from an ESG perspective. So, um, within measurable, are you are you targeting certain countries, regions, jurisdictions, or are you essentially following your clients? We follow our clients. That that was the that was that's definitely been the way that we've um, we've kind of grown across um, across the globe. We're in ninety three countries now. And so we have building data from from around those um, those geographical locations. Um, so actually, having the data across ninety three countries must be really interesting. Um, in terms of the benchmarking exercise you talked about there, because actually one of the main criticisms and one of the early criticisms of ESG reporting was not around the reporting, but maybe the robustness of the data that's feeding into that reporting. Um, so do you think that criticism in the past has been fair? I think it has, yes, and I think if we look at you know regulations like SFDR, where um, you know there was this onus on EPC ratings and using that as a benchmark tool, there was also an attempt to um, um, to establish you know a net zero uh, reporting guideline called NZEB, the Net Zero Energy Buildings Directive. All those things didn't well, NZEB didn't didn't happen. Um, countries across Europe did manage to implement it as a as a way to you know to help benchmarking across across buildings and EPC ratings as we know are you know it's just a snapshot in time and it's it's not a it's not a moving um, uh, data point that we can you know reliably uh, base our uh, assumptions on so 
actually having um, leveraging the data that we've got immeasurable, um, we actually find that our estimates can be very um, just much more robust as a way to benchmark that tool. So often we advise our customers to to use that benchmarking data in their reporting of SFTR. Um, over the last decade, there's been a proliferation of certifications. Um, some not for profit, some for profit, and they would definitely be there would uh, be a range in quality there. You know, there's definitely a spectrum. And I think in some cases, the market decides uh, which one is going to to add that layer of cre credibility to. Um, but these different certifications, all ever so slightly pulling in different directions, have they been a help or a hindrance to ESG adoption? I think initially they, they've been a help for sure. I think um, getting to a point where raising that awareness around what a sustainable building is or what a green building is, I think was was a key part of the journey in getting sort of e raising ESG awareness and raising, you know, awareness around, right, we need to be improving the energy efficiency of a building and not just from an environmental perspective, but also from a social perspective. Um, you know, we're making sure the tenants in buildings are, you know, their health and well-being has been considered as well in that in that process. So I think they played a very important role. But I think maybe at the moment, you know, in recent times, we've gone to a point where it's become a bit of a, uh, a checkbox, checkbox, tick box exercise. And um, and which is, I think, yeah, I think we need to sort of step back and we have any, we need to have a look at the what, what are the key data points that that are and improve the performance of a building and focus on those instead rather than filling out these very very long questionnaires around uh yeah around these green certifications that maybe have become a little bit opaque yeah and you know maybe this is just part of the natural um process of this sector maturing because i know certainly in the early days of PropTech ireland kind of going back to 2015 2016 um you know at, at that time I, I think most, uh, you know, across construction and real estate, we saw that there had been an increase in tech adoption. So people were using technology. So therefore, for almost the first time, they had a lot of data, digital data that they'd never had before. They didn't know how to deal with it. Um, and I think GDPR across um, uh, across the EU made that more of a liability than an asset. People were afraid of it as opposed to, uh, maybe understanding it enough to be able to extract insights. And I think now, fast forward kind of eight years, I think we're in a place where we have so much data that actually now I think the critical conversation is what's the data that counts? What matters? What are, you know, what are the metrics that we ought to be looking at? And I'm not sure that's still very well defined. Um, in your experience, does the, do those key metrics vary depending on the geography or the client or the objectives of the client? Yeah, it, it definitely varies on the geography and the jurisdiction that you're in. Um, you know, I think in the US, we see a lot of local um, um, local state regulations that uh, real estate owners have to abide by. And, and we're seeing this now with, you know, the proliferation of ESG acronyms and ESG voluntary frameworks and you know and the regulatory compliance around it now as well we've got we're in danger of having a real sort of soup 
an ESG soup of acronyms that um, is can be very daunting for you know for real estate owners to kind of get their heads around and trying to prioritize what what needs to be you know what kind of data needs to be needs to be reported. So, but thankfully, we're also starting to see a standardization of of this data. You know, we're with the launch of um, the ISSB. Um, their IFRS S1 and S2 is an attempt at really trying to bring together and align a lot of that um, sustainability data so that we can sort of, yeah, have a bit more of a consolidation here where everybody is on the same page and everybody knows what they need to be focused on, um, you know, whether that be carbon emission reporting or energy consumption data. Um, you know, it, it's interesting I, when e, uh, particularly kind of the the um sustainable uh, and new building practices across the built environment when that conversation started to happen you know nearly a decade ago uh certainly in Ireland and across the UK we were still really in the midst of survival mode recovering from the crash and I think the last number of years for different for different jurisdictions have been really challenging in terms of um to the energy crisis in terms of um geopolitical um geopolitical um the situation across Europe and outside of Europe uh you're you're looking at brexit and then you're looking at an ever you know the data pointing to an ever urgent environmental crisis and it feels like when all things are urgent nothing is urgent, you know, and, you know, so the, there's a real focus. And now we're in a, a really critical conversation around real estate. You know, the headlines um, across the Irish papers of the last number of weeks are, are you know, are, are, are to the effect of the real estate, the commercial real estate, uh, real estate sector just needs to hold on till 2027. They just need to survive. They need to reimagine. They need to, you know, across the UK, we're seeing a huge um, move towards converting office spaces into residential. We've seen a certain amount of it in Ireland, but you know, at this point, we don't know if the figures, whether cash or carbon, are stacking up right now. We just don't have the data to say that yet. But the UK, whether they have the data or whether they don't care about not having the data, they're moving ahead with this as a strategy. In Ireland, we're not there yet, but perhaps it will happen. Um, given the fact that you're operating in 93 countries, what are you seeing in general? I take ESG out of the conversation. What are you seeing around commercial real estate and how are your clients, you know, your traditional clients, the real estate owners and operators, how are they feeling about the coming kind of 24 to 36 months? Yeah, um, it's a great question. Um, and I'm sure everybody's racking their heads trying to figure out what, um, you know, whether we feel the market's bottomed out yet or, um but I think, you know, it's a bit of a mix. I mean, like you mentioned, we've, you know, we've got that benefit of having a, a view across 93 countries. But if we try and simplify that um, into a more manageable piece, let's look at North America and we can look at Europe as well and the UK. And I think those three, those three um, segmentations are useful because they're all at slightly different um, points in the curve. So as you rightly mentioned, you know, we had this increase in interest rates um, due to a, a number of reasons that we all know, geopolitical, supply chain, um, inflation, all that coming through. And and so Europe, from what we've seen across our client base, is that European customers have that, that fall, that adjustment in valuations happen quicker. So 
in a way, the way we, we're kind of looking at it is that Europe has bottomed out quicker than uh, the US and the UK. The UK has been, is also quite well through that correction as well. Um, US has been slower to correct. Um, and I was just, you know, reading in the last couple of weeks, there's a lot of headlines now coming out in, in the US around um, lenders to commercial real estate, particularly banks that are having to write off um, a lot of those loans, um, a lot of adjustments down in terms of their um, their their loan book in terms of commercial real estate. And so it almost feels like, oh, no, we've got things are actually not good where we haven't turned the corner yet. At least that's what it's starting to look like if you just focus on the headlines in the US. However, what we're seeing is actually there's a little bit of optimism creeping in now. You know, we had Blackstone's Blackstone's president, Blackstone, one of the biggest real estate owners in the world. Um, he said commercial real estate values are bottoming out and he expected an uptick in realizations in the second half of this year. Um, we So the Perry Network, which is the private equity real estate network, they they had some good, good insight on this as well. They sort of feel that we're 80% through that correction um, in Europe and the UK. US is a little bit behind behind Europe, um, but there are starting to be we're starting to show, we're starting to see opportunities come up in in different sectors um, in commercial real estate. So industrial logistics that has proven to be a core part of of, of any real estate portfolio in 2023, and that will continue to be um, a crucial part of any real estate portfolio in 2024. Um, there's residential. You know, due to the changing patterns in uh, and demographics around going to the office, hybrid working, um, there's a we're seeing a real shift in a lot of office transformations into into residential. That's starting to come through also in the data, um, and then retail actually is also um, starting to show some um, some interesting signs of of recovery as well. So there are bright spots that we're starting to see, and our clients. Um, and their peers are starting to, we're starting to see a lot of launches of new funds focused on um, taking advantage of these opportunities. A lot of value-add value add funds coming into the forum as well, um, which is great because those value-add funds means that, you know, there's a decarbonization angle there at play as well because most of these investors are interested in picking up these brown assets and improving them from a financial perspective and that often involves making them more energy efficient and reducing that energy consumption, which is good for the planet and good for good for the cash. I want to return to maybe some of the work you're doing um, with with um, the on on the sustainable finance side and for maybe the, the capital markets and um, that that sector of your clients. But just before we we um, leave this, you've touched on really the the um, remote working, hybrid working, the future of work. I mean, that was you know that was a highly speculated upon um phenomenon since covid and you know it, it really is um a bit of a spectrum there from people believing okay we will never go back to the office nine to five monday to friday and i think that 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 seems to be kind of the, the majority view however along that spectrum we're seeing more time will be spent in the office by more people than we might have expected maybe two years ago as as we were coming out of COVID and in fact interestingly in Ireland we have our first case that I'm aware of going before our high court 
um, where an employee is claiming they were um, essentially being penalized um, for refusing to go back to their office, which is on the other side of the country from where they live. And in my mind now, it's the first one that, that I'm aware of publicly, but I know those conversations are happening and I believe that that we don't yet know how that's going to play out. But given, again, your international perspective, um, you know, we know that the offices, the offices have been essentially reimagining themselves even before COVID that was starting to happen with space as a service and reimagining the future of work. It was already starting to happen. COVID accelerated and maybe embedded some practices in a way that we mightn't have expected or we might not have gotten to organically. But now, how are you seeing? And I know that's that's kind of a big question when you're operating across 93 countries. But in terms of the future of work as we know it to be today, what are the trends that you're seeing? Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's difficult to do a, a big generalization across um, across the different geographies. But um, for example, if you focus on on London and what we're seeing in, um, in the market here is we're seeing a, we're not seeing companies get rid of offices completely, but what we're seeing is they're shrinking their office space. So they're either moving from some very big office spaces to uh, to smaller, to having just a few floors in an office building versus having had the whole building before. Um, so we're definitely, I mean, HSBC is an example of that moving from Canary Wharf um, into central London, into smaller office space, because they just don't have the need for that, for that space as well. Canary Wharf Group also um, starting to transform a lot of their offices into residential, into residential um, buildings. So there's a big shift happening there as well in that in that space. And I think it's it's definitely going to be an adjustment. And um, you know, but a lot of the commercial real estate industry has a lot of offices in their portfolio. So it's it's a very immediate. Um, problem but also opportunity to um to transform those those assets so i think i mean we are seeing we've got cu customers who are doing that transformation from office to to residential and really and also some doing office to multi um multi-diversified buildings so with retail included as well so retail residential and office all in the same building mm -hmm. we're starting we're starting to see that proliferation um, do you have any data and apologies if this is an unfair question, but, you know, I mentioned there that actually we're only really uh, doing a small amount of this in Ireland, you know, taking existing office buildings, converting them into residential. The figures so far don't tend to stack up in terms of cash. But what surprised us was that I'm not sure they're stacking up in terms of carbon either. Um, do you have any data based on maybe some of the, the building transitions that you've seen? um do I have, we have any data sadly not in terms of what those um whether that you know means that they're getting a reduction in 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 the carbon emissions or not i mean typically our clients that are you know that have value add funds and value add investment strategies we typically do see a reduction in carbon emissions as as they're doing their retrofits and and refurbishments of the of their buildings and they're very much using our data to, um, you know, to optimize their assets. So, but in terms of data that I can share today, I don't have. No, <laughs> don't have no. Any I, I, do you know? 
I, and it's just something I'm curious about. And I think maybe there is a benchmarking exercise that needs to happen in terms of new development versus retrofit when we're taking office into residential, because I, I think um, I, I, I think the industry will withstand it if it doesn't stack up financially because there are and to a certain extent, um, you know, because we have supports there and we have a social remit um, and a social mandate. However, if the carbon doesn't stack up, then I feel like maybe we're having the wrong conversation around sustainability. And, you know, we I, I think the line of the most sustainable building that we can deliver is the one that's already built. I'm not sure that's true if we're trying to bring it up to a standard. And, I, and the data isn't showing us that yet. So I look, I, I, I think in the long term, there is a bit of a, 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 a data driven exercise that needs to happen before we make general comments like that and before we can stand over general comments like that. But, um, you know, I, I, that's, again, probably reflective of the stage we're in. Um, Nuno, before we finish up today, I just want to have, you know, maybe just to get a little bit of an understanding around, you know, I, I absolutely understand the offering for your real estate owners and operators. They, they, you know, I understand why they need measurable and what they what they get out of that. For the capital markets, you know, what problems are you solving there? Uh, you know, and, and what are the problems there? What are the what are the kind of key priorities? Yeah, so on the capital market side, where we're really focused on is on that pre-investment due diligence process, um, which for if we take a typical a typical lender um, for you know for commercial real estate um, or even for um, you know mortgages, a mortgage loan book, they are looking at um, lots and lots of buildings on a on a on a daily basis and. Often the data around around that building is is quite poor in terms of um, sort of the ESG side of it. So getting an understanding of the you might have an EBC rating, but doesn't really that's only built, gives you a snapshot. You don't really understand how that building is performing versus its peers. So what what we developed is something called um, CDDS, which are which is our climate due diligence scan. And what it is effectively, it's it's leveraging all that data we have on the buildings, which include any green certifications the buildings might have. Uh, we look at the building type and we benchmark that building performance across across our portfolio, uh, sorry, across our data lake to get an understanding of how that building's performing versus its, um, its building type in its peers. So there's a benchmarking aspect to that. And any local ordin ordinance uh, filings that there may, there may be necessary for that, you know we can we can pull that that data on that building and give and give the lender a very quick understanding of how that building is um how that building is positioned from an ESG perspective which is really a not quite a novel um tool in the industry because not a lot of you have tools that focus on the the climate um, the physical climate risk around a building which a lot of insurance providers have have developed that particular tool, but then pulling in that other information around, you know, uh, green building certifications and building types and how that perform how that performance is versus its peers, wasn't really available on the market. So we saw an opportunity to um, to offer something to to lenders um, that's a very sort of quick and easy uh, scan for them to do ahead of going through that um, due diligence process on and the asset. 
I, I suppose then more broadly, do you feel is there an understanding or, or from from what your experience is, is there a, a good understanding across the I, I, across the built environment about just how sustainability and financial stability are intertwined? Um, do you, is there a good understanding there? Yeah, so I think in the um, you know in the lending, I would say owners and investors. You know they've been doing this for a little bit longer. They've got a they've got a good understanding of it, or I think a more mature understanding of of the intersection between the two. But I think what we're starting to see now with a lot of uh, the debt funds that that may sit within real estate investment trusts and as well as lenders in you know um, on the real estate portfolios for banks, that is that's something that's starting to emerge now. So that that understanding is is starting to become. Um, more widely um, baked in, I think. And but we're still at an early stage there in terms of understanding what, what this, is a sustainable building going to deliver a better yield for um, for a bank to lend against or not. Um, you know, green leases is nothing new. You know, we've been talking about green leases for about fifteen years now, um, but they've sort of come and gone, and now they now they're back again. So. I think we're we're starting to see green leases make a bit of a return, and that is, you know, so th there's a need for data around that to understand what that means. Very good. And I suppose final question today, because I am conscious of your time. Um, just I, I suppose looking a little closer to home, what uh, what are the ambitions for Measurable and for the Measurable team over the next kind of one to two years? What can we expect to see in terms of innovation? Yeah. So we. Um, it's actually a very pertinent question because we are really now focused on kind of reimagining what uh, what Measurable sort of started to do in the first place, which was really pioneering um, a technology and ecosystem to power sustainable real estate. And we really want to sort of come back to that sort of mission statement. And so we've actually got some really exciting product launches coming um later this year uh mainly in q2 that we were we're going to be talking about very soon um that will really i think open the the market opportunity around decarbonization um using data so we're very excited about uh those innovations coming and uh and there will be further innovations coming later on than that so yeah for us it's um really focusing on trying to pioneer that ind indispensable technology and ecosystem to power sustainable real estate Super. In well, that, yeah in a profitable way that sounds that sounds exciting and I suppose just by way of inspiration to others uh to other innovators and pioneers in this space who might be at an earlier stage in this journey just to remind them that the global ESG awards will be taking place and that that's uh, run by the um, by the EU Building Innovation Network, and we're really excited that will be taking place at MIPM next month. So it's really shining a light on technology and innovation, and again that pioneering spirit that's really trying to improve delivery across the built environment. So uh, we're very excited, and it's great to see Measurable leading the space, um, still leading in the space a decade on. And I'm excited to hear about the new plans. So no doubt we'll be. We'll be um, in conversation in another few months' time. 
That was Nuno Brito Icuno, lead ESG advisor with Measurable. My thanks to Katie Tallon and producer and to the audio team at Hear Me Roar Media. Before we go, just a special word of thanks to our sponsor, PropTech Ireland, for sponsoring the podcast and for making these conversations possible. Also, thanks you indeed for tuning in. As always, we'll catch you on the next episode of the PropTech Hot Seat. In the meantime, please be sure to check out all of the other Irish and international real estate and construction shows here on iPropertyRadio.com. <laughs>